0: we played with Brooks Cap Cap couple the times when he was number one in the world. Uh, we played with Lucas clover USF enchantment played with Cameron Smith going around. he's now one the best players in the world. We played with Capco one day and he was hit him, and he hit it terrible. He like, Wow.
1: Today, we're joined by Jacob Cook. Jacob graduated from the University of Kentucky this year and plans on turning professional in the fall. Jacob has played in two U.S. Open sectional qualifiers and in the 2021 United States Amateur. Progression
0: as a junior golfer. I was, luckily, I was homeschooled until sixth grade. And like you said, I didn't go to school until middle school. had a grandma that played golf and took good care of me, so I was very fortunate when I was young and I just loved golf, so I worked really hard at it, just loved playing, practicing, had some good buddies to help push me along. Fortunately, I had some good success in junior golf, and then really it, it timed up perfectly for me in high school because we weren't that good when I was like, in middle school, so I was I had the opportunity to play as a sixth grader, whereas if we were real good, or I may not, probably wouldn't be able to play at that young. So it timed up perfectly that played in sixth grade, and Kind of by the time I left, we had built it up and had a couple of really solid teams my last few years at Brown County. So I was really fortunate there and then got the opportunity to move on to play at Kentucky, fortunately. And that was an awesome opportunity. Had a really slow start to my career, redshirted. Um, And honestly, we were really strong my first few years there too. I mean, we were super deep, had some really good teams. Got like probably six or seven guys on that team that are still playing pro now. Um, had some serious struggles with my golf game, late second, third year of college, but persevered and got really lucky with this COVID year. You know, got a couple extra years of school to, to hang in there and learn from some really good um, players and coaches with a lot of experience. And fortunately was able to find my game again and, and catch my stride these last two years, last year especially, and now looking out into the pro golf world, hoping to turn pro in the next few months and pursue my dream of of being a pro golfer. And that's kind of where we're at today in the summers.
2: Very cool. So uh, why don't you walk us through, kind of have an idea where you are now. We've talked about where you started um, at such a young age. Talk us about, at what it was like at each level as a junior golfer because there's you know they're starting out when you're five and just playing there's playing tournaments at 11 and then as you progress there's more and more um growth personally and then also tournament wise you have that progression where you go from playing in pepsi tour events which was the kentucky uh junior tour to playing Mm -hmm. in more regional events um Mm -hmm. thinking like Plantations was one of those hurricane tour and then playing in national events, AJGA, et cetera. Walk us through um those sort of steps uh in your growth.
0: As far as just like where I played kind of thing.
2: Yeah, tell us tell us about how um tell us about like how a good you were, how you felt about that and how And what it took to get to that next step each time. Because some of it's just work and time. uh, But a lot of times in that period, there's, you know, plateaus, there's ups, there's downs. Kind of give us a perspective as to that.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I started. I I played my first, like, Pepsi tours when I was nine. First event shot 70 on nine holes. So that's where where I started. Um, And then that's really all I did was Pepsi tour stuff for for the next probably five or so years. I, I got my first win. I think when I was 11, yeah, I I was 11. I think he was there on the Pepsi tour and that gave me some confidence and I just kept chasing it. So I think I only did pretty much Pepsi tour until I'm going to say 15. And then I started getting into some plantation, plantation tour golf week junior tour which was a little bit of a step up you got you know your regional you got it's a little bit more competitive I did that that was kind of the that was more in the fall and the spring and then I would do the Pepsi tour in the summer but you I know mean, I played that for several years I did win I won one two I won two plantation tour I think so you know I I kind of Worked hard to climb my way up there, won there, and then got where I was high enough ranked. My last, like, two years, I played, like, the AJGAs, the Southern Juniors, and had some success there. I never won any of those. I was second place in the AJGA, I believe. It's still the longest playoff in AJGA history, eight-hole playoff. So, unfortunately, never won at the national junior level, but I had, I was competitive, you know, I held my own. And fortunately, I mean, all the way through there, I don't want to say it came easy because I worked really hard, but I never faced any like real adversity. Now I was just lucky. I was talented. I had success and just kind of kept climbing the ladder through, um, through high school. And then I guess college is where like, I really started to face adversity because that's where you, you learn how, you learn how good everybody is, how competitive it is, and it's just a whole new ballgame when you get to college.
1: So you, um, so you had a pretty good, strong ending to your junior career. I remember Southern Junior, you finished, I think, seventh. You obviously had the second place finish at the AJGA and obviously a strong high school career throughout. Um, just talk a little bit about that transition phase into college and you know what was difficult for you. Uh, making that switch. Yeah, I think it's,
0: it's very tough, but it's also really good. Um, you know, it's just kind of a it's just an, an awakening. I guess you see how good everybody is. You feel like you're really good in junior golf, so you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to roll in. I'll be in the top five, you know, and we'll be all good. But then reality hits, and you see how good. And there's there's eight or ten guys that are just as good as you are. It's like, oh, wow. But I think it is, like, looking back now, it's been so good for me because you kind of need to hit that point, I guess. And, I mean, you're going to face a lot of adversity, especially in golf, to, to hit that point. And you decide if you're going to just give up or you're, you're going figure to figure out how to do it and make your way into the five. And fortunately, I, you know, I persevered and worked my butt off last six years and found my way, you know, to where I was one of our best players these last couple of years. And I think that's just been so huge for me in my, in my golf group, you know, to, to persevere and it's helped me become that much better of a golfer, you know, to have to beat those other players and work my way up, you know, and, and to be successful at the pro golf level, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to beat my teammates. So, it was great for me to do that and a big lot of learning lessons for me.
2: So to beat those other players, um, it took a lot. Tell us, tell us a little bit. I know you took actually a hiatus from playing for a while. What led to that? Uh, and what did it feel like after that?
0: That was actually, um uh, that was super good for me. Cause it was, you know, the college season especially just wears on you and, we're always playing, there's always another tournament to prepare for, there's there's always something to do, and it just becomes exhausting at times, and COVID was awesome, because it was just really chill, there's nothing to worry about, and all you could really do was golf, but it was a whole new perspective, where I would just go out and play games with my buddies at home every day, you know, and everybody came back home, because it was COVID, so all my good buddies um, that were gone to other schools, traveling, playing pro even, all of a sudden everybody's at home, and We had some awesome games that even Cooper was part of. So so we had had a good good time. I think it was just great to reset and just play golf, you know. And for me, I get a lot of my confidence from just playing well, just stringing some really good rounds together. I don't get that much confidence from just, like, practicing because, I mean, that doesn't really say anything about how you can play on the course. So for me, when I – if I can string a lot of really good rounds together, that's when I get going. And, you know, during COVID, we played, I mean, two or three months straight, just playing rounds every day and you start stringing some rounds together. And I got a lot of confidence from that. So it was refreshing, the fact that there was no travel. I mean, nothing extra going on. And then you start stringing some rounds together and it really put me in a good spot. And I guess that is, that's kind of what set me off for the
1: next last two years at UK. I can't remember really what, when the tournament schedule started in 2020, but can you kind of think back when when we got back in the tournaments? I think maybe the fall, late fall, we had the state am there. Um.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I remember playing. They did that unbridled event at the Bull, like, very late May. I was a low amateur, yet pro tournament, and pretty much held my own right in there with a bunch of pro guys. So that was a lot of fun. Eric Barnes, who's been a big name on the Corn Ferry lately. Like, just walked for the U.S. Open. I remember playing with him last round at the Bull. So, you know, getting to play and put my game up against a lot of those guys and held my own, and that gave me a lot more confidence, too, for the rest of the summer.
2: That is cool. Um, speaking of talking about that uh, money game you guys would play um, – in the summer, you think about playing against those guys. You had Jam Butler, he's out of Auburn. Ken Claycomb, out of Alabama, I think. You had Ashton Van Horn, Corn Ferry, Cooper Musselman, former teammate of yours. Corn Ferry, uh, Chip McDaniel, former teammate of yours, um, also has been on all those uh, tours. That's just a small list of the guys that are on there. You know that you know these guys. You've grown up with them, but. Still playing with them in a competitive event uh, week in, week out where you're playing um, Champions Trace which on those days uh, was in good condition and winning number was as I recall 67 or 66 or something like that. What was that like knowing that it wasn't going to be handed to you whereas sometimes when uh, we were younger we'd play in like events with just our uh, age group peers, it was a whole lot easier and there's a lot less concern about somebody throwing up a good number.
0: That's a good point, real good point. And it was great, especially for me, you know, still being in college and and getting to play around. Like there's eight or 10 guys that are doing really well in the pro circuit. So, you know, knowing that you got to go out there, I think we did a lot of two-day tournaments. You got to go out there and you got to shoot 67, 67 to even have a chance most of the time. I mean, it was awesome. Especially when you talk about playing pro golf and being prepared for that, because that's really what it takes nowadays. You got you got to be able to go really low and and uh, don't put a limit on yourself. So just having that experience playing against those guys was was awesome and definitely helped prepare me for for golf at the next level.
1: Speaking of pro golf, you've played in sectionals for the U.S. Open the last two years. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about that experience and what you've learned and maybe players that you've gotten to play with at that level. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah, actually, I played the last two years and I caddied for Chip the year before that at where he got through. And from there, we got to play with a lot of really good players. Last year, I got in as an alternate very last minute. Um, Didn't play real well, but I got to play with Bo Hogue, who I think he's on his third year on the PGA Tour. And I played with Lucas Herbert, who... At the time, was like 93rd in the world, and I, now he's, I think, maybe in the top 50. Uh, just got top 10 or top 15 in the PGA Championship, won on the European Tour. So, yeah, last year I got to play with, with those two guys, which was so cool. Um, learned a lot from them. And then this year, you know, I kind of got to build on it. I, didn't, I played with a couple of younger guys this year, but I knew exactly what to expect, knew what to do, uh, knew the course, and I went out there and I got to a great start just Didn't quite finish, but um, being around those guys has definitely shown me that I can do it. And they're—they're not. I mean, they're great golfers, but they're not what you'd think they would be. I guess you could say so. It's given me a lot of um, self belief and confidence that I can hang with them um, any day of the week.
2: That is cool. One question I had was: We talked about you've had a lot of tournament successes and put yourself in a lot of good positions. On the flip side, what's the worst mental space you've ever been in on a golf course?
0: No doubt, probably. We were at Steelwood in Mobile, Alabama. My, this is like fall of my third year. This is, I had this stretch where I said I just like lost my game and I shot, I shot like 89, 85, 85, 86 right like four straight tournament rounds. I mean, just, I mean, brutal, you know, especially for somebody at that level. So I remember at Steelwood even, I mean, I had my coaches come up to me and I'm like begging to withdraw, like just, just get me off the course because I just could not keep it in, in play. I, it was miserable. I wanted to get off. And at that point, I really didn't care if I ever teed it up again in a tournament or for fun. You know, it's just, it's just miserable. I put in so much hard, hard work and effort. And... To be playing like that, I could think of a hundred other things I'd rather be doing right then than playing golf. So, but luckily, my coaches taught me to stand out there. I finished the round and I stuck it out in the end. But I can remember that vividly. I mean, just brutal.
2: And how did you how did you come back from that? Because it sounds like it wasn't just a one time event. It was sort of a buildup to it. What was part of the buildup, and then um, after finishing that you got your game into much better shape uh, going forward. What helped you do that? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I literally had a two or three-month stretch where I remember being like almost in tears. Like every every single round I played just because I was so miserable. Uh, I hated it. But deep down somewhere I loved it, you know, ever since I was a kid at five years old, shipping and button And I just never lost sight of that. And I loved it too much to give it up. And I think the number one thing I did was just persevere, you know, I, I, I knew I was good deep down. I knew I could play, but it was just kind of like, is it worth it? You know, and I thought it was at that point. So I just, I persevered. I kept working hard. I never um, slacked off really. I, I kept working and, you know, fortunately I was able to find my game eventually. You know, some people lose it and never find it, but fortunately I was able to find my game. So here I am now
2: that I I can empathize with that situation before I know that feeling all too well and for a very uh long stretch of time and it's it's a hard thing to face and I think everybody faces this at some point and you got to come to grips with it and that that is when you're playing competitive golf your score a lot of times becomes your identity uh you're not Jacob Cook you are Jacob Cook, the guy who shot eighty nine. Uh, you're you're not Cooper Collins. You're the guy who shot eighty seven. Uh, like the, it no longer becomes uh, about who you are; it becomes about the score you shoot. So when you finish up a tournament and you have a bad day, not only do you feel that about yourself, but then you might be worried that your teammates uh, feel that about you. To walk us through, like. When you're having a tough stretch of golf, how do you avoid having your identity as a human in the scores that you shoot? And in the round of golf, we can even get sucked into that. Walk us through like those moments and what you try to do to get out of that.
0: Yeah. So, um, y'all know me both pretty well. I'm pretty big. I get my faith in, uh, FCA. So, you know, having that, knowing that knowing my identity is in in the Lord, in Christ, and that I'm just a son of Him in the grand scheme of things. I'm just out there trying to glorify Him, whatever I'm doing, you know. And so yeah, you got that on top of my other friends like that I've met through SCA that have helped me outside of golf. And really through my struggles, that was huge for me too because I kind of got a lot more involved in that. And it really did just open my eyes to how much more there is outside of golf. Yeah, that's kind of, that's when I started dating Mallory, my fiance now. And I think having those things outside of golf just helps you, re- you realize how like, not important golf is in the grand scheme of things. You know, so I think it's just so crucial to have, you know, three or four other things outside of golf that, you know, you can take pride in as well. Because it's if you do, I mean, we're so lucky. Golf is just a game. And, uh, but we I mean it gets put on this pedestal far too often but I think you just gotta have a things that can help bring you down to earth and realize that that it's just golf you know I mean there's far more important and bigger things in life than, than playing
1: golf yeah it's a really tough balancing act to kind of try to do it's like golf is just a game but at the same time you know it's paying for my school or now you have NIL deals that you can get paid or you know when you turn pro it's gonna you're going to try to have it pay your bills. So how are you going to try to kind of balance that? Um, well, not treating it too seriously, but at the same time it is really the center of your life.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I'll t- uh, try to treat it the same as I have these last couple of years, you know, be really strategic for five or six hours a day, however long it ends up being, you know, put in a really good five or six hours a day and, and then the rest of the day I can go take care of Mallory, take care of whatever else I need to take care of. And it's just being, it's being disciplined in that, you know, I mean, it's easy to go hang out at the course for eight or 10 hours and just kind of piddle around. And and I mean, I don't mind doing that, you know, I love golf, I love being around it, but it's just having the discipline to, to put in your time and you got to get out of there. And that's one thing I've learned in these last couple years of college, you know, that you got school and, and, um, uh, you know, nighttime activities like FCA meetings and SAC meetings and whatever else it is. So, I, you know, I think college has really taught me well how to balance that, how to balance my time. And I really plan to just do the same with Brogoff. You know, it won't be class, but it'll be uh, Maori and home life, and there'll be plenty of other stuff to do.
2: There's a lot to take care of on that front, but it sounds like it sounds like you have a good plan uh, going into it. And as far as like, the identity that comes with tournament golf, as we said, there's the bad and there's the good in a more objective sense. Um, not looking internally when you finish up a tournament, how do you kind of evaluate whether a, whether it was a success or B what to learn from it? Cause usually when you finish up uh, a tournament, the tough thing about golf is there's only one winner. When you play basketball, uh, you got, uh, 10 guys on a team, there's 10 winners uh, each each game. In golf, there's one there's one winner, and a lot of times you can play some really good golf and somebody just has the sauce more so that week. Walk us through how you evaluate tournaments after you're uh, done playing them.
0: Yeah, I think the number one biggest thing is just to take the time to reflect. I think it's really easy just to kind of put it behind you and be ready to move on to the next one, but You know, I've learned a lot in college to reflect on what really went well, what really didn't go well, and, you know, it's really just me versus the course at the end of the day. I think it's so easy for us to compare ourselves to other golfers, but comparison kills And at the end of the day, it is just us versus the course, and that's what we've got to come to realize. So just really reflecting, and for me, usually as long as I – stuck to my routines, committed to every shot. I controlled all the things that I could control did during the course of fifty four holes, thirty six holes, however many holes it is. If I did those things, I checked those boxes, you know, that's really all I can do at the end of the day. And I mean I think you'd say it's a success. If you if you did all you can do and you have your very best effort it's a success in the end. And you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you always you know, learn to move on and and fix what you can for the next
1: event. So kind of building off that uh, tournament reflection process, do you have a strategy that you use like journaling or talking with your coach? Or how do you physically uh, reflect on a tournament? Mm
0: -hmm. I've gotten to where I'm really big on stats, especially with all the strokes gained and stuff that's coming out for us in the last couple of years. So I'm huge on that, and I've been doing that every round. I've tried to do it even every round at home. Just to, I think that really tells you what was good and what wasn't good. It's easy in our head to say, oh, I put it bad or I drove it bad. And maybe that's not reality when you look at the stats. So that's one big thing I've gotten into. And then two is I do like journaling. I enjoy journaling. You know, every day kind of what went well, what's working, what didn't work, what's not working. That way, you can you know, you can look back over the last few years and have things to go back on. Like, um, I luckily, I qualified for the USAM last uh, summer in a 36-hole qualifier. So before the sectionals, I was going back, trying to look back at my journal, you know, what was going well. That 36-hole qualifier for the USM, what can I apply for the, these 36-holes for the US Open is really similar. So, yeah, the stats and journaling are the biggest things for me. For sure.
1: That's some really Mm -hmm. good stuff. Um, I've definitely benefited from journaling Mm -hmm. when I've done it. uh, Mm -hmm. It's hard to do it every single day. Um, But something I'm curious about is what does the mental conversation look like within your pre-shot routine? Do you talk through the shot with yourself? Um and I'm curious if you have a mantra that you tell yourself before mm-hmm. every shot. I know that when I've played some of my best golf, I've had a few different mantras that I told myself before every single shot
0: I do. I like to kind of talk myself through my routine you know my coach Larry has the whales. Well, so you know you've got your wind elevation lie distance, and then um kind of talk to those variables and but I've never had a I've never had a mantra that I say um. I know a lot of people have, it. I've never really had a mantra, but I do kind of talk myself through my routine and you get yourself to the number. And I think it's really important to pick a, a precise number and a precise target for me and, and walk in on those two things. And That's about it for me. I try to keep it as simple as I can.
2: You talked about, uh, playing the USAM and you've played in two US open sectionals. Um, and you've played in a lot of big events. What events have made you like feel real? Like what what event has made you feel the most nerves? And what in general? What events make you feel the most nerves?
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the bigger events for sure. Just because you want to perform that much better, you know, the you got the U.S. Fame, you got the SEC championships, the NCAA regionals. But probably the most nerve wracking. The qualifiers are the most nerve-wracking for me, like sectionals and the USAN, because you just want to get there, you know, and there's a next a next level. And you know it's going to be a long day, 36 holes, long day. It's kind of you got it or you don't. So I get nervous, just wanting it so bad to, to move on. So I'd say the qualifiers fire me up the most, for sure, just because I think there's a little bit more added stress and emphasis
2: what do you do to deal with that stress?
0: For me, uh, preparation is the is key. If I can um, prepare my body, mind, the game, everything the best I can on that first tee, I'm a lot more calmer. I think. I think I get a lot more nervous when I feel like I'm unprepared and not ready to play. But as long as I feel like I'm ready to play, I've done all I can do to prepare. Usually, I'm um, good to go and kind of, kind of can walk in from that first tee. And then uh, kind of a step forward is it's just keeping your mind on one shot at a time. I mean, it, it's so hard to do. It, it's so much easier said than done, especially when you've got a USM, US Open, you know, SEC championship, something like that on the line. You got to, you just but you got to block it out and know that if I can stick to one shot at a time, stick to my routines you know over 36 holes I'll be right there with a the chance I mean you'd like to think so at least so I think preparation and and really sticking to a shot of time are the biggest things for me to handle all that external
1: pressure so have you ever I know that in Kentucky it's kind of hard to prepare the best you can for especially spring season um what strategies do you guys kind of use to just feel like you can be the most ready you can even though Um, weather is not ideal.
0: You know, when I was younger, I used to always play like on-course games and play the red tees and and do stuff like that. But now, especially since college, it's a lot harder because, one, like you said, the weather. I mean, in the springtime, we'll have two or three events a year where maybe we don't even get outside in between events because you got snow and it's 30 degrees and raining. So I think the biggest thing is just researching the course as best we can know, like, what shots we're going to be facing. Is it going to be a lot of drivers? Is it going to be a lot more, like, irons chop the tee or the par threes? I mean, what clubs are we hitting off the par threes? And we try to hit a lot of those shots in the base and um, just get comfortable hitting those shots. And then, like, are the greens real slopey, are they slow, or are they fast? And just being prepared for that the best we can. Like, if we're inside, we can – if, if it's real fast, we have, like, some carpet up top that's, that rolls really quick that we can put on, or if it's slow, we can go down to our indoor green that's not super fast. So but I think it's just having it in mind what you're going to be facing at those venues that you're going to and just being comfortable and ready to those shots. shot.
1: Sort of, since we're already speaking about preparation, um, I kind of want to lead into a little bit more of a, Immediate preparation before a tournament. Sometime, something I feel like a lot of golfers are confused about, whether they admit it or not, is how to approach a practice round. A lot of the time when I'm at a tournament, I even witnessed this at the corn fairy level when I was scouting Fresh. And is that players will just chip around the green or hit a few putts, but all they're really doing is filling up time. Uh, is there a certain strategy that you use when you're playing practice rounds and try to, trying to get the most out of your time there?
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, and that's something I've really learned in college because a lot of these courses, I've never seen the course, and you've got one round with four or five other players in your group. So there's just a lot going on, and you've only got one round to to kind of learn the course. So I've gotten to where I really – I mean, like how I hit the ball or whatever just almost doesn't even matter. Like the The – Goal that day is to scout the course. I want to always get my tee lines nailed down. You know, I like to have 75 yards or so to hit driver for the most part. So do I have 75 yards? And then from there you're pinning an exact target that you can – it's obviously got to be movable depending on the conditions, but you know about where you want that ball to land off the tee. And then into the greens you've got – usually you've got a good feel for where they're going to put through pin locations. And from there, you're looking, you know, what stations of the greens are you going to be attacking? Where can you be aggressive? Where do you need to be conservative? Where are you going to be missing? If you need to miss, you know, where's the best lead? Um, and then I've been real strategic, I guess. Where, where are you chipping putt? You know, if it's a 140-yard par three, you got to think you're going to hit the green maybe all three days, so, I mean, I'm not going to waste my time chipping around that green when I'm probably going to hit the green all three days. Okay. So it's just being thinking logically like that, or if it's a par five that I'm not going to be go forward into, then there you go. We might hit some chips for five minutes where I might be facing some of those. Okay. So I think it's just really thinking through that logically and just putting your time where it needs to be. I think it's, it is very easy there to be, to just kind of chip around aimlessly but that it's not the most productive.
1: Another thing about practice rounds—do you kind of have a rotation of tee shot clubs that you may switch around for different courses, or do you kind of stick with the same setup every week?
0: I've got I've got the same setup every week. Um, I've got a three iron that I really like that it's kind of a go-to club for me. I, at one point, I kind of alternated between a five wood and a three iron, but I've gotten right have the three iron.
2: Speaking of hitting tee shots and where to miss um, How do you determine that when you're I'm when you're mapping out a course? I'm assuming you go out uh, Prior and are mapping out the course in your strategy before you go into that tournament round How are you determining whether you're hitting driver or three wood three iron and also on those part of threes? determining where where you're going to be aiming uh, on the basis of where to miss
0: yep so key shots if if i've got the width to hit driver i'm probably going to hit driver and just get it up there the only other thing would be is if there's like some deep bunkers or something that i need to avoid or way back short of i might do that so yeah it's really just making sure i have enough room to hit driver and if i don't where this ball needs to be, if it needs to be 250, you might hit a three iron, or if you've got a, if it's 300 yards to a creek, you might hit a three wood simply to stay short of it, kind of thing. Par threes. Hopefully, it's nice when they let right, us know where the pins are. If you know where the pin is in advance, that'll help you strategize. But if not, I kind of just have those sections of the green that I know where about where the pin would be, and it'll just be getting the ball to those sections. Um, but I always air toward the middle of the green on the par threes. In there. threes with good driver,
2: toys. with driver specifically, what is that width that uh, you're looking for? Where you tell you it where it tells you it's a go zone.
0: For me, it's about seventy five yards to be able to send it. I got like a tee down shot that I like to hit, and I need about sixty yards for the tee down shot. But ideally, about seventy five yards to hit the driver.
1: Something I'm kind of curious about is just when you went to Oakmont last year, was it as hard as you expected or was there kind of like a shock factor when you first got there?
0: Uh, it was harder than expected, I think. Harder. I mean...
1: What was the hardest part? The greens,
0: I would say. I mean, it was... I played it with... It. We got a bunch of rain on like Monday night, but I played it on Monday. And so you had 156. 150- You had 156 guys play Oakmont on Monday. I mean, you got the best amateurs in the world, and there was one guy that shot under par on Monday, and they shot one under. The greens were just incredibly, incredibly firm, and they said they stamped them. I think Monday afternoon they stamped around 15 and a half. I mean, there's just nowhere. There's no way that I could have possibly prepared for that. And I mean, I knew it was going to be hard. And we were even talking with Larry how we thought they'd probably only roll like 13 or so for the stroke play rounds. And you show up Monday morning and they're 15 and a half. And it's just, yeah, I mean, I was shocked more than anything. So it was, it was harder than I expected, no doubt. I mean, that's probably the only time ever that I can think of
1: that it was literally harder than I expected it was going to be.
2: Speaking of tournament preparation, can you remember some times as a junior where uh, you had bad tournament preparation um, in particular, and what you learned from that?
0: Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything like specifically. I do remember that I had a tendency to kind of over prepare, and I would go, I would play thirty six or sixth hole the day before a tournament just because I, I mean, one just because I love doing it. But then you get to the tournament and you realize how exhausted you are. So I think that's the biggest thing I took away when I wouldn't prepare well. was just oh for preparing because that's just kind of how I am. You know, I like to feel very prepared, but at some point you got to take care of your body and be rested up and ready to go. As for inventory, and I would definitely wear myself down too much prior to some events when I was young.
1: I'm kind of curious. Has there ever been a tournament where you feel okay, I'm ready, I'm totally prepared. Or is that kind of constant feeling of I didn't do enough, even though you might have played 36 holes the day before? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I've definitely had several events where I'm 100% ready to play. I know if I go do my thing, I'm I'm playing well. Uh, It doesn't happen a lot. I think it's rare that you get your game to that state. But there is times here and there where I show up on the first tee, Ready I and mean, feeling great, ready to go.
1: And uh, I know I'm going to take care of business if I just stay out of my own way. I know a few years ago you caddied for Chip McDaniel for a good summer uh, on the PGA Tour, and he had some pretty good success. Can you talk about a little bit about what you learned from him
2: um, through that experience? Yeah, I mean, that was an awesome month or so. You know,
0: we were right there with the best in the world for like a month and just kind of living the life. Um, I learned a lot, though. I think I learned a lot from like the players we were in. Like we played with Brooks Kepka a couple times when he was number one in the world. Uh, Played with Lucas Clever, USF enchantment Played with Cameron Smith one around. He's the one of the best players in the world. Um, I learned so much just like observing those guys and watching those guys that physically they're really maybe not as good as you think um but they just manage their game real well they stay out of trouble and they just post a number at the end of the day and you don't have to do what you think you have to do to to play it that way well, which is really kind of who makes them who doesn't like i remember we played with the kepko one day and he was hit, him and he hit it terrible His like wow and going there was the travelers i think and he didn't really, he wasn't really worried about it, but uh, I mean, he just kind of slapped it around and, and played. So, yeah, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot from Chip, too, I guess, just his very calm demeanor. He Just calm, kind of went about his business, and, and that was it. You know, he didn't get too anchored about anything, but wasn't too upset about anything either. He was real level-headed and, and just kept on to the next shot, next tournament, and went on a great run I mean it's a lot of fun I was able to be a part of it
2: that is that is neat and that perspective is caddying while caddying is something I think I had to 2015 I caddied USAM at Olympia and uh, for Ashton and at one point in time we had John Rahm on our right on the range and Bryson on our left uh so we had we – had, there were plenty of good players at that event, and we played our stroke play rounds with Matthew Neesmith, um, who now I think has status on PGA Tour. And through that all, I think – I'd like to hear you talk more about this, but that realization that those guys are human too, because then when it came to a caddy for Cooper at the Jones Cup last year, you're with uh, these guys that have super high rankings – um, and ostensibly are different, but at the same time, you know, they put their pants on uh, one leg at a time, just like you and me. And you don't, as a as a caddy, I'm not having a place, so I'm I don't feel out of place. But uh, having been having been in that 2015 USAM and actually also the 2016 one, you kind of realize that it's about getting the golf ball in the hole. Can you tell us a, a little more about that?
0: Yeah, I think Well, one thing on TV is, like, they only show the good shots. Like, they only highlight the very best shots of the day, you know, everything. And being there in real real time, real life, you see that that's not the case. That, you know, when, when us three go out and play golf, we probably have a couple highlight-worthy shots around we play too, you know. I mean, so they're just like us. And, yeah, I think – you just kind of get a better sense of reality being there in person, you know they do they're they are very normal human beings that like to do other stuff too. I mean they've got other hobbies out to other golf they're just golfers, they're just good at it, you know, and they're very human, they make plenty of mistakes, but they just handle those mistakes well and they know they're good, and they get their ball around, you know, just like I said earlier they man they know how to manage their game and shoot their one or two under and move on you know. So definitely they're very human and and a lot more like us than we think Than the world, than the world tells us.
1: I know during college golf, there are a lot of 36-hole days and lots of time on the road. This takes a pretty big toll on the body physically and mentally. Uh, So in order to be successful, you need to check all your boxes. Do you guys have a strategy for nutrition when you're on the course and on the road?
0: Mm, I've had nothing specific. You know, that's something I think I was first better at this last year you realize how, how important it is to stay hydrated. You know, that's a huge thing. Just doing little things like that when you're traveling a lot, just stay hydrated, make sure you're eating eating plenty and you're sleeping plenty. So two big things I keyed on this year were staying very hydrated, making sure I'm sleeping sleep a lot and I'm well-rested and ready to go. I think people overlook that kind of stuff a lot, but especially if we're traveling a lot and our bodies are going through a lot each day you know you gotta do that step and it's easy to overlook but stuff you gotta be on top of for sure
2: that that is ties into the question I had next which as far as fitness goes warming up for rounds and then also the week of I know you work out a good amount and um, sometimes that can leave the body tired and sometimes people prefer not to work out the week of a tournament or the day before a tournament what do you do that week of leading up to a tournament and also the day of a tournament to get your body in the shape it needs to be to play 18 or 36.
0: Mm-hmm. It's something I'm still kind of playing with a little bit personally, but I've gotten right the week of, I will lift, you know, wider, maybe, maybe do two lifts instead of three lifts, but definitely do a little bit wider lift, just get my body moving well, moving a little quicker. Just make sure the body's moving. You know, if you get real heavy, I think you can get kind of slow and sore. But just doing maybe a little bit more mobility and just a little bit lighter workouts. And then the day of, I have gotten to where I like to do like 10 or 15 minutes of cardio and maybe like a mobility circuit in the morning just to just to get the body, get the blood flowing, get your body moving, and just feeling good and ready to go for the day. So that that's something that's helped me a lot this spring.
2: A lot of juniors uh, who aren't necessarily like tied in with a trainer or something of that nature might think of a lift as in, you know, resistance bands only or something lighter. But the lifts that you do, we're talking uh, barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, et cetera. Is that walk us through a little bit of what those workouts look yeah, like?
0: Yeah. Um, the ones I've been doing at Earthset at UK have been i usually do a big lift. I'll do a bench press or a squat or something of that nature with the barbell. Just if it's a tournament week, yeah, I'll maybe go a little bit wider, but I'm, I'm still like lifting, lifting. And then from there, I'll just do some accessories, like some core work, whether it be like um, chin-ups, rows, like hypers. Just, but I'm still doing plenty of actually lifting type of things. And then I'll do like a, a core and mobility circuit to wrap it up
1: so I know, as we all know, uh, the strength of your game is your short game and your putter. Um, you're one of the best putters out of the group of guys that we had growing up. Um, what do you think has allowed you to become such a good putter and wedge player?
0: No doubt it was growing up at Juniper Hill. Um, small mini course, no range. So I, I did not spend much time hitting balls, but I spent a ton of time chipping and putting you know, putting contests all the time rather than hitting balls that so I just put. And also, the greens at Juniper, like, they sneaky, have a ton of slope. So, I mean, I was just putting all the time and I'm hitting these four-foot putts that are breaking the cut. So, I just really grew up seeing a lot of lines, speed, and I think that's really been so beneficial for me long-term looking back because I've never really had any putting lessons or anything. I've kind of just taught it myself.
2: That self-organization is cool. It's fun to see when things come together like that and how your, uh, how your background influences that. Aside from specific golf stuff, are there any mental coaches you've worked with? I think Kentucky might have access to a few. I don't know if you've worked with any personally. And your thoughts on what they brought to the table mm-hmm. for you.
0: Uh, I've worked with a few over time, kind of here and there. Um, they give you some really good things. I think the biggest thing that I've learned from that is just to like be aware of like mindfulness is always a big topic. You know, we can't really control our thoughts, but we can deal with our thoughts in productive ways. So just kind of being aware of what you're thinking about and how to handle it, and then say you're in the moment. You know, you're on the edge of qualifying for a U.S. Open. I mean, you're obviously probably going to think about that, but you can to say, all right, I'm thinking about that, but all I can do is focus on this shot right here, so I'm going to do that. So I can, all in all, it's just controlling the controllables, I think. You know, we get all wrapped up in all these other things outside of that, but at the end of the day, all we can do is control, what we can control, and that's it. And if you do that, that's all you can do. I mean, everything else will take care of itself.
2: I get that. Well, the last question we ask all of our guests is now you're older, you ostensibly have the keys to the kingdom, and have seen what it's like going up through junior college and soon to be professional. If you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself one thing, just one thing, what would it be?
0: That's a good question. I'd say enjoy it have fun I think you know we get way too tied down and like you're talking about our score and all this other stuff and how we're about there's so much more to life I mean just don't get caught up in it don't bog yourself down don't beat yourself up even though I still do that all the time but you know at the end of the day just have fun we're playing the game and we could be doing a lot worse things than uh, being on the golf course so I think just have fun with it and enjoy where you're at, and the opportunity to, to play golf.
2: Excellent. Well, we appreciate it, Tony. If people want to find you on social media or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, probably like an Instagram DM or something, Instagram or Twitter DM. I think I'm, I'm big. I actually, on Twitter, I'm big cookie, big underscore cookie five. And on Instagram, I'm now Jacob Cook Golf.
2: Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at thetournamentcode.com and cooper at thetournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf.